The passage of scripture for this Sunday is probably one of the best thanksgiving scriptures that you could ever find. Because when God has done something wonderful for us, and we know that he is the one who did it, we can't help but give him thanks and praise, can we? If we know that this wonderful thing came from him, we have to thank him. We have to praise him. And in this story, we see a man who was born lame, had never walked. And God did a wonderful work in his life. How could he do anything other than respond with grateful praise and thanksgiving? And you know, one of our attributes as Christians should be to be people of gratitude. One of our attributes should be just flat gratitude. First Thessalonians 5, uh, uh, somewhere between 14 and 24, it says that in everything we're to give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. In the responsive reading we read today, Psalm 100, there are two things that just leapt out of this to me this past week. And I want to share a little bit about it. First of all, it says this about God. He created us. He is our creator. Next, it says about us, we are his people. And then it goes on and says, we are the sheep of his pasture. And if you, if, you, if, you, if you ever start feeling like maybe God has forgotten you or just doesn't really care about you, read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He is. We are a people who are separated from God. At the time of the fall, we were separated from God. We were separated from our Creator, and we couldn't have a proper existence because we were created to be connected to Him. And wonderfully, this God that we separated ourselves from through our sin sent His Son Jesus to restore the relationship between creator and creature to what it should be so that we could have this wonderful life that he created us for and live out of it and live in it. He's your shepherd. The pilgrims who celebrated that first Thanksgiving were doing the best to live this kind of life. And as they lived it, if you look at their story, you can see God shepherded them. God watched over them. God cared for them. They were a people who had through Jesus Christ had this creator creature relationship restored and they were doing the best that they could as his people and as the sheep of his pasture. His providential hand had brought them to this time of that first celebration. 
And because of what they had been through and because of what they had seen and because of where they were at that moment in time, just like that man born lame and then healed by God, they couldn't help but pause and give thanks. Now, there are people today who are trying to deprive the church in our country of uh, this great Christian legacy that we have celebrated since the founding of our nation, a legacy from these pilgrims. And they're trying to do this by changing their story. And so I want to share with you an article by Michael Medved that I ran across day before yesterday entitled, What's the Truth About the First Thanksgiving? So that you can unashamedly give thanks to God yourself this coming Thursday. The article begins, Food, Football, and Oppression. That's what Thanksgiving has come to mean to many in America. Back in 2007, Seattle public school officials made national news by describing the holiday as a, quote, time of mourning and a, quote, bitter reminder of 500 years of betrayal, unquote. This new narrative describes the pilgrims as arrogant oppressors who fled persecution only to become persecutors themselves, depriving Native Americans of their land and their lives. But this is wrong on every count. First of all, the pilgrims didn't cross the ocean to flee persecution or even England. They'd been living for over a decade in Holland. Europe's most tolerant nation and a haven for religious dissenters. Free from interference by the Church of England, they feared seduction, not persecution, worrying that their children would be corrupted by the materialistic Dutch culture. That's why they risked their dangerous 1620 voyage to a wilderness continent. Not because they were running from oppression, but because they were running toward holiness, fulfilling a fateful mission to build an ideal Christian commonwealth. They initially planned to plant this model society on the wild wolf-infested island known to natives as Manhattan. But winds and tides blew them 250 miles off course, dumping the Mayflower on the frozen coast of Massachusetts. Somehow, the pilgrims saw their dire situation as a demonstration of providential power, especially after a giant wave picked up the flimsy boat of a scouting party on a stormy December night. The turbulent sea then deposited them safely, miraculously, on a little island within sight of the ideal location for their settlement. It was a deserted Indian village with cleared land, stored supplies of corn, and a reliable source of fresh water. 
No, the supposedly cruel conquerors never actually invaded that village. Instead, they expressed a fervent desire to pay the natives for the dried corn they found, if only they could find someone to pay. But the former inhabitants had perished during three years of plague, probably smallpox, that immediately preceded the pilgrims' arrival. One of the few survivors of that devastation turned up several months later to welcome the English newcomers. Against all odds, he proved to be the single human being on the continent best suited to help the struggling settlers since he spoke English and had already embraced Christianity. His name was Squanto, and he had grown up in this very village before a ruthless sea captain kidnapped him as a boy and sold him into slavery in Spain. After four years, he was freed by kindly monks, then made his way to England, and finally sailed across the Atlantic, only to find his friends and family all wiped out by disease. Over the next few months, Squanto helped the English newcomers plant crops and negotiate a friendly trade agreement with the region's most important chief, Massasoit. No wonder pilgrim leader William Bradford called Squanto a special instrument sent of God for their good. The celebration, later known as the first Thanksgiving, actually involved a three-day harvest festival in October, apparently inspired by the biblical holiday of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Ninety hungry Indian warriors joined the 53 surviving pilgrims for this occasion. Nearly half the colonists had died during the brutal winter. The Englishmen provided some vegetables, fish, and perhaps wild turkeys, while the natives brought five recently hunted deer as house gifts. The preferred sport on this occasion wasn't football, but shooting, with settlers and Indians sharing a fierce fascination with guns. Though these hardy pilgrims loom large in the American imagination, they never built their Plymouth settlement into a major colony. In nearby Boston, the later colony of Massachusetts Bay grew so much faster that it swallowed up the great-grandchildren of the Pilgrims in 1691. But the sense of purpose of the original Pilgrims left a permanent imprint on our national character. They maintained unshakable confidence that God had protected them, not to grant special privileges, but to impose special responsibilities. They saw themselves as instruments, not authors, of a mysterious master plan. Today, with our continued blessings so obvious and so overwhelming, the only reason to treat this beloved national holiday as a time of mourning is that some foolish Americans actually think that's a good idea. The pilgrims knew better. 
they understood that people of every culture and every era can gain more from gratitude than from guilt. This past week, as I pictured what the pilgrims had gone through leading up to this first Thanksgiving, I was reminded of the second verse of John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. This coming Thursday, I pray you'll remember this Christian heritage of our country. People had come to not just the realization, but the reality that they were God's creation and had that relationship between creator and creation restored to what it should be through Jesus, tried the best they could to live in that relationship. As they did, God was their shepherd. He had guided them and watched over them and brought them to this point in their lives. And they were thankful. Probably some way in this past year, the pilgrim story has been your story, hasn't it? If you stop and think about it, you've done your best to be his. And you can see that he has been with you and is with you at this point. If so, I encourage you, thank God for his grace during this past year as you bow to say grace on Thanksgiving Day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.